Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator Series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. Listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschoolprobe, probe.com, and use the code preptgrind in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast. and welcome to the Pre-PT Grind podcast where we help you become the best Pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brittany and I'm one of the podcast directors. I'm very excited to be here today because we have the program director and department chair of Bernal University, Dr. Heather Ross, joining us to answer a few questions regarding her program. Thank you, Dr. Ross, for taking your time out of your day to chat with me. So let's dive into the first question. In five minutes or less, tell us about what led you to the profession of physical therapy. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for having me on your podcast. I think the efforts you guys are making are fantastic, bringing to us the very best applicants we could have. So we're grateful for that and and excited by that. So I can tell you how I became interested in physical therapy. I was always interested in movement. I was an athlete from age six. So of course, that's a very common way a lot of us become interested in training and therapy and things like that. I actually was really fascinated with anatomy. So when I was 
younger, I actually wanted to be a funeral director or a coroner. I was really into anatomy. That's actually what I ended up getting my terminal degree in is anatomy. But then I was thinking more towards becoming a doctor. And then when I was in high school, I learned about physical therapy. I didn't even know that was a thing until high school. And one of my teachers was telling me about it and I started to research it. And I thought, well, this is a great fit. This is about movement, about different parts of the body and optimal movement. It's one less year of school than med school, which is ironic because I went on to get a PhD and was in school till I was 30. So that didn't much matter. But I really was drawn to movement and the fact that we are educated, not just to move arms and legs, but how does your brain work? How does the inner ear work? How do you move in space optimally with regard to all of those things? So it was just a natural fit for me and my interests. Right. So it's about essentially just being able to see the person as, or the body as like a whole. That's actually a really interesting path you took from the funeral director to pre-med to PT. So that's really interesting. I think it is really common that a lot of people are athletes or they had an injury. Did you have an injury or anything? I didn't. I didn't. And it is very common. We always kind of joke that it's that ACL tear. I almost had the unhappy triad, but in my forties, just a few years ago, I tore an ACL, a medial meniscus, and I strained the MCL, but I didn't have it to bring me to PT, but I have now had one. So (laughs) So next question is, students put extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all-around applicant. Since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value the most or that catches your attention when seen on an application? Well, it is a complete package. I will say that. And there are the typical things that we hold as program minimal requirements, of course, which is going to be pretty consistent across the field. The numbers have to be there. You know, you have to have right prerequisites with pretty high marks in those prerequisites and all that. That's pretty standard. But we are a holistic admissions program. So we are very interested and we have developed our matrix to support holistic admissions. And what holistic admissions means is that we care about diversity. We care about diversity of thought, of where you come from, race, ethnicity, veteran status. All of those things roll into the things that we look for so that we can ensure that we're enrolling students who widely represent the communities that they will go back and serve in the state of Georgia and in the nation. So we do actually care about those things in our matrix for admissions. So that is advantageous to certain students from rural communities, from underserved communities, and other aspects, of course, that go along with diversity. So we're very proud of our track record with that. We work with our state minority student mentorship program. They actually come to our interviews. So we really care about that deeply. I'll also say, too, for admissions packets, you know, everybody's got to write the essay. In that essay, we really like to see students reflecting about an experience with a patient. And I know that that's a little tricky right now because of COVID. Not everybody's getting out there for so many observation hours because things are limited right now. But regular times, we really like to see students be able to reflect outward with their thoughts about the field, what it means to them. We look for that. And then, you know, really great letters. Those letters are, guys, you have to be sure that you're going to select folks who are going to write you a strong letter, not just a letter. So great letters of recommendation and also being able to reflect on what you know about the profession and any experiences you've had in shadowing or with patients. That's Um, right. That's right. So then if a student visits your campus, which I know is kind of hard right now, but what are some things that are unique about your program that a student would typically not see on a tour? but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? I think we have several unique aspects to our program. The first one is the building in which we're housed. 
to be honest with you, which we do have a virtual tour. It should be on our website so you can kind of see it when you come to interview because our, you know, of course we're doing Zoom interviews right now. At normal times we bring you and do a lovely tour, but we're situated in the middle of an art gallery. It's called the Manhattan Gallery. So Bernal is a wonderful keeper of art. We have a wonderful collection here at this university. It's liberal arts school. So there, that's the, the roots of this women's college. And so you're walking around the halls and they have situated part of this Manhattan gallery to be a lot about form and function. So you'll see that parts of human bodies in the art that's presented there because we are physical therapy department. So it's kind of like the art of science is right around us. And we, we really enjoy having that in the community. And again, in normal times would, would come and walk around and they give tours and things like that. Our program is unique to me in that we are bred in philosophy of experiential learning and experiential learning is, to sum it up simply, is about experiencing as you learn. So rather than passively sitting and just lecturing, which of course we have to do a good bit of that, but we could really care about exposing students to the experience of physical therapy, the experience of learning techniques in, in unique and fun ways so that it's more active. And sometimes it's dissonant. Sometimes we kind of throw stuff at you that advanced. There's a little bit of discomfort in learning that because that's salient. One of the biggest things about that is we have something called the early mobility program that was bred out of that philosophy. And so what it is, is in the second, third, and fourth semesters of the educational experience here, you actually go over to the hospital right up the road twice a week, and you work with the nursing faculty to mobilize patients early after their hospitalization, their surgery, their injury, et cetera, because there's great evidence out there that tells us that the earlier you move after you're laid up in the hospital, the better your outcomes are. And so that has been a wonderful partner, interprofessional practice model with nursing over at the hospital to be mutually beneficial. It gets you guys out in the clinic earlier. It gets patients up and moving. And what we've learned is that you guys come back into the foundational science classroom and ask us these wonderful questions. My first couple of years teaching here, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go. Let me go get you that answer. I don't know. I, I haven't thought about that for this class. And so it was really awesome and engaging and some wonderful discussions in anatomy. So that's very unique about us. We also have a pro bono clinic. That's not the most unique thing, but we are very proud that we have a pro bono clinic that is student run, student organized. And then we also have a faculty practice right here in our department. So you can literally walk down the hall and see us treating patients and shadow with us. So those are some of the things. We're a very service-oriented program. We do service in the community. We do global, local. We participate in a migrant uh, farm worker service project. We are working on international opportunities and even an international placement. So we're very service-oriented and getting out there into communities who really need us. That's really interesting. I, I was watching the virtual tour and I thought it was really interesting that you do have those chances to have like early application of the material that students are learning and it is really cool to be able to go into the hospital and actually work with patients at early on in your academic career I guess. Can you tell me a little bit besides the pro bono clinic like anything else about your service opportunities? Well, we have a soccer program that some of our students started a couple of years ago where we go out into the Spanish-speaking community. Here, Gainesville has a large Spanish-speaking community, Latinx population, and so they work with the children in our community for a soccer program. We have a program that is faculty-run called Together We Run. That is something one of our faculty members started where she works with youth who are able, who have disability, any mix of them, and our students work with them for a running program where they train 
and then they have a 5k uh, once or twice a year and so that's been really lovely for our students to be engaged with of course we do go to Moultrie um, that's the migrant farm worker program that I talked about that's a one-week opportunity in the summer where we go to South Georgia we put screening clinic for orthopedic uh, injuries there are there's a pediatric screening program associated with that we do donations, we donate boots, so we do that for a week. We've been looking at an orphanage in Honduras. There's perhaps some other Central America opportunities. We've been to the Yucatan to look at that. So we're still developing the international ones. The list just goes on and on. We have a service coordinator, one of our faculty, who actually has a big matrix for us. And we're, uh, you know, we're only five years old, so we're still kind of developing that profile. It's, it's already very large. So um, some of those are some of the bigger ones that I can think of, but every student really has the opportunity to participate in service as they wish. I think that's a really cool opportunity to not only be part of your community, but also get experience practicing Spanish. Because I notice when I'm been shadowing, it's always a little bit harder when you have a patient who speaks Spanish. And I know that there's a growing Spanish population in the United States. So that's important as a clinician to also kind of practice those skills as well. It absolutely is. We have two fluent faculty. We've had several fluent students and they actually assist in the pro bono clinic to make sure we have a translator. There is an undergraduate club here at Bernal and they've helped us with translations. I actually did a, one of my clinical rotations in school was at a Shriners hospital in Texas and that was pretty much immersed in Spanish speaking clients. So I was able to, to utilize that a great deal. So it is with the growing population, you're seeing that in many communities, many facilities now. So for a student who's accepted into your program and is there for the next few years, what kind of resources do you provide to put them in a position to help them succeed? Well, we have this thing here where we like to call ourselves the Bernal family. It's just a Bernal thing. It's a definitely a Bernal DPT thing. We are ourselves family and in a family environment. So, and that doesn't mean it's always comfortable. We have family meetings, that's what we call them. It's time for a family meeting. We have things to talk about. And a lot of times it's to celebrate, you know, we have celebrations, we like to do that. Sometimes it's to talk about tough issues we're facing as a program or something that has happened. So we do all of that. And I find that that, I hope that, and we do have, you know, some feedback from students, that just that environment, just that concept and philosophy, lets students know that we're here for you and that no topic is off the table. If we need to talk about hard stuff, we'll talk about hard stuff. We do have, and I can't take credit for this, some of our current students have come up with their little Bernal fans where they've got a first, second, and a third year student all together in a little fam. And so they're a resource for each other. Now, of course, we have second years mentoring first years as soon as you get on so that you're oriented. We have a big orientation, of course. And we, we actually have open door policy. All of our faculty, we, we don't even really post office hours because there's no need for them. Again, non-COVID time and normal times. If we're here, our door is open and you are welcome to come in and ask that question or close the door and have a tear or share some great news with us. That's really how we operate. Our staff is unbelievable. Our staff spend a lot of time with our students to talk them through, to answer their questions, to sit and laugh, give them a break. So we do have all those resources. We, we have a learning center, of course. We don't have a lot of tutoring, but, but the students really help each other out. We faculty do a lot of 
you know, extra work. I wouldn't necessarily call it tutoring. We do a lot of out-of-class help as students need us. We do, uh, again, partner with the APTA Georgia's FEN for minority mentorship program. So most of our minority students have a mentor at the state level. We're very active with them. And every student has an academic advisor. That's another piece. We actually have kind of a template of how we advise first year. We're very intentional about checking in individually with each first year student a certain amount of times. And then we kind of back off a little bit because you don't need us quite as much after that. But there's a lot of touches in the first year to make sure that the student is thriving and handling things okay. And we're very intentional with our remediation process. If you didn't make a good score on this or that test, we pull you in pretty much right away and start remediating counseling and working with you right away to make sure we're going to figure out in the first year what's going on. We're not going to let that go um, so that we're going to help you find your best success academically. I like that idea of like the family, a really like close community. So it seems like you guys have a decent amount of resources for students to succeed and do their best. For a student who applies to your program, what can they expect on the timeline of, of the decision? If your program conducts interviews or preview days, what can a student expect during the course of the day? When we do an interview on grounds, so maybe next time, we bring you in, you know, you get a tour, you talk with students, you have a group interview with us, we all introduce ourselves, and then you go and you have a small group interview and an individual one-on-one with a faculty. So we, we spend a pretty good amount of time with each student. It's a couple of hours. And again, you, you get access to our students without us around when they're giving you the tours of the department so that you can actually ask like real questions. Like, what's it really like around here? So, so it's a pretty complete session. Right now they're on Zoom. So hopefully this will be the last Zoom cycle that we have to do, fingers crossed. And that's a, an, also about an hour and a half process where we have students, alumni, faculty, special guests. We have everybody on there. It's a different format, but we try to get you in front of the same of people generally to get your questions answered. We consider the interview your look at us just as much as our look at you. It's important for you guys to pick the program that works the best for you. And we may not be that. So we try to be very frank about what our environment, what our culture is, what our experience is like, so that you can understand if it's, if it's the right fit too. You guys have choices to make too. But, you know, if we decide to offer you a, a slot, sometimes slots are offered on the spot. Sometimes slots are offered in a phone call within a day or two. Once that slot is offered, the university takes over and will send the offer letter. Um, and that usually comes within a week. And then once you receive that letter, you have two weeks turnaround to go ahead and reserve your slot with your deposit. And then, and our staff is very handy with that. We check in, we make sure that everybody's questions are answered, make sure everybody knows the timeline. And then once that two weeks window has passed, you just roll off onto the wait list because we can't hold that slot. You know, we got to fill the class and make that offer. So we do give you a couple weeks to kind of think it over and this and that. And then we talk with you and say, well, if you're not ready, we're going to put you on the wait list. Some people defer and that's fine. So it, it's a couple of weeks. We do rolling admissions. So rather than having one big day and then, you know, pretty quickly after your interview and we have a timeline for you to kind of soak because we continued it. So for many students, they're going right from their undergraduate degree to their graduate degree, while others may have been non-traditional students. No matter what the case is, everyone is going to have and may experience first day jitters. What can students expect on their first day or first week of classes in your program? So we typically have a day or a day and a half of on-ground orientation. 
our orientation this year was again, of course, on Zoom, but typically we bring you on and you have a good a day and a half of just activities of learning, what can I can expect, how does this work, where do I go? You're in round tables with your cohorts. We analyze your colors, which we all have a personality type, a blue or a gold, a green or an orange. And so we analyze that and, and kind of tell you a little bit about that. It's how we set up our lab groups so that we have a mix of personalities in, in our labs. Some of it's fun, you know, we do icebreakers. And so that gives a lot of information so that the student kind of gets some of the infrastructure of how this is going to work. Of course, in the summer, all three of our classes are on ground. So it's our busiest semester and we start in May. So when, when you start as a new student, you've got second and third year students all around you and they are really engaged with the first year classes, always have been. I know that there's Facebook groups and socials and a lot of them live in a couple of the same apartment complexes. So our, our classes tend to be pretty close, I think. And then, you know, classes, it's busy. It's busy right away. So we hit the ground running, but we also try to really be high, high level, high energy. We're understanding that you guys are just figuring it out. So some of the courses may be slowish pace the first week or two, but it's never slow. But we do try to get you geared up for the educational experience because it is a full-time, very busy curriculum. But again, we're, we have a family environment. So when students kind of have a moment, they can, they, they've got offices to just walk in. I've never seen, I've never felt that students struggled to find a space in this program. I, I really can honestly say that um, we have had adult learners, had non-traditional students, and I've always felt like they were able to find that group of, of students or their safe faculty member where they could talk it out and kind of understand how to fit in. I think we've had a, a really good track record with that. So people, your students feel pretty welcomed and integrated. So we know that there are a lot of pre-PTs that have a rough start to their journeys and might have lower grades and find themselves in situations where they decide to lock in later on their journey. At Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help push and guide students to take the correct course of action to ultimately get into PT school. We have seen it where there have been students who might have started as low as a 2.4 and have gradually have gotten it up and been able to get into PT school. So for a student with a low GPA who wants to get into PT school and wants to become a better applicant, what do you recommend? I actually really love this question because so we love applications and applicants who have a story, who have overcome adversity, who have, I mean, there's some real tragic stories out there. Things happen to folks and that might be what drives them to physical therapy. And sometimes those folks get overlooked in a bigger program. A lot of us have taught in big programs. And so what we love is that we have the capacity here with our philosophy, our admissions philosophies, our educational philosophies, is that story brings value to us in that student. Our average GPA, GPA typically runs about 3.3 to 3.5. Our minimum is 3.0. You know, those are some numbers that are realities. But we closely have looked at files where on the front end, it doesn't look like, well, what's going on here? But usually you can find, oh, this, something happened in their sophomore year. Or, well, what happened here in the freshman year? Or they really had a rough start, but they've been doing this upward trajectory all along. We actually dig through and find that in these applications. And then you talk to these amazing students. It's like some of our best students have really had adversity in their path to get to us. And we actually embrace that. So if you're not at that 3.0 yet, keep going, find a community college, take anatomy, get an A, 
get an A in anatomy <laughs> somehow, some way. Just get your minimal numbers in there. And if you've got a great story and you have really worked hard, we'll find you in the pack. That's really great. That's really what our program is about, is encouraging those students, but also letting them know, yeah, that their stories matter. And That's that right. even if they might have started off somewhere, their path to where they want to go is possible. Final question is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to any applicant during their pre-PT journey? So this one's easy. My biggest piece of advice is be flexible. I bet a lot of the students that you're working with know a lot about flexibility, <laughs> it sounds like. And I love that because being flexible in this life is an absolute necessity to, to live your best life, I think. It's one of my biggest pieces. I have always considered myself flexible to the opportunities that, that have come before me. You know, we talked about how I kind of got here. And, you know, as we all do when we're younger, well, maybe I'll be this, maybe I'll be that. Then once I got going in PT, I was going to go into, I, ironically, I mean, I was an athlete, but I never wanted to do athletics. I wanted to work with elder individuals. I didn't want to do research. Well, then I started doing research to make some extra money in my program. And then I fell in love with research and then went on to get the PhD in wound care, actually, was what I did research in to begin with. But two weeks into my PhD journey, I went to just see a lecture about neural stem cells and I changed everything two weeks in and went to my advisor and said, look at, I think I want to do this other thing. And he was great about it. He, in fact, stayed on my dissertation committee close throughout. But I, I changed that trajectory even as I was doing it. And I am so glad I, I did the right thing. But it took a brave choice to say, I think I need to switch what I'm doing in order to be really fascinated with what it is I'm going to spend the next five years doing. And, you know, I changed jobs because an opportunity, I came here because of an opportunity and I left a pretty big place. So being flexible to opportunity before you oftentimes puts you on that path you really need to be on and you just never knew it. And I just think there's so much value to that. It's a theme for me. Part of my teaching philosophy is to be, is to teach you guys to be flexible thinkers, which kind of sounds weird, but we come here and we have just studied and made a test, studied, pass a test, study, pass a test. When we get you here, we need all of that to go away. I mean, we, we need you to do that, but we need you to think and thrive in your thought and to be critical in your thought. Because when you get in front of a patient, no two patients are ever alike. And you need to be able to just be flexible in what you're seeing and accept that your original hypothesis, what you think is about to happen may not be right. And you got to think on your feet and figure out the next move and sometimes pretty quickly. So I love flexible thinking and I love flexibility in the world. I think it's a good, good thing for all of us to consider. So that's my advice. Thank you so much. That wraps up all my questions. I wanted to thank you again for chatting with me. Sounds great. Well, good luck with all endeavors with this group and thanks so much. What is up, guys? You've been listening to the Pre-PT Grind podcast, where we don't just help you get into PT school, but our mission is to make you the best physical therapist you can possibly be. And I have a quick question for you. Did you enjoy this episode? And if you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow, and that will spread our message of helping pre-PTs get into physical therapy school without wasting time and money, is if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast. What this basically does is tell the platforms out there that we're on is that you like our stuff, that we're doing something right, and that we're bringing value to you all, our audience. So if you can take about three seconds out of your day to rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast and tell your friends about Pre-PT Grind, we would be forever, forever 
grateful to all of you. So thank you again for listening to another episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. We will see you on the next one.